Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through with the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees the last episode of Monday Nitro, where WWF had parachuted in the writing team of Shane McMahon and Bruce Pritchard. I own WCW. So therefore, in its final broadcast tonight on TNT, I have the opportunity to address you, the WCW fans. I have an opportunity to address you, the WCW superstars. What is the fate of WCW? Well, tonight, in a special simulcast, you'll all find out. Because the fate, the very fate of WCW is in my hands. So how are you this week, Dan? I'm, I'm mixed feelings. Um, on one hand, I'm elated and amazed. We've actually done it. We've made it to the last episode of Nitro. And uh, there were times where the book, where the booking on both shows was so bad, I thought one of us had jacket in. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also a little bit, a uh, little bit sad to be honest. It's been, uh, it's been a little bit of a ride. This going through, watch, especially watching the Nitros, because a lot of the raw stuff I've, you know, remembered. But it's, it feels like a bit of an end of an era, sort of. Certainly, the end of season one. Yeah. It's like having your first child, you know, they're always the better one. And I say that as the oldest of two brothers. And <laughs> Cam, if you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it, it'll be a good one to get into because uh, I've definitely watched this episode before, but not for a very long time. So how yeah. are you feeling about it all, mate? Not got a tear well, in your eye or anything? Well, it, it is a little bit sad, but it's quite exciting because... This episode's been simulcast, so, you know, if you want to uh, listen to the winning side of the war after you've listened to this, uh, hop onto that Night's Wrestling podcast channel where there's an exclusive review of the Raw that went head-to-head with this that uh, Mags and James are doing, so they'll be copper hoop celebrating uh, winning the war. Well, yeah, it's, it's a little bit sad here on the Nitro side, but we're going to make the most of it. <laughs> I'm just wondering when, uh, when one of them's going to jump in and say that they've bought UTT. Yeah, should we put a book on it? Uh, we're going to be five or ten seconds in. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with 17. Yeah, so, I mean, there might be a lot of bravado on the other side, but we have plans going forward. Next week, we're going to release the first in our bonus series of Unbooking the Tankatory, where we're looking at the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. One thing I did not expect to be doing was... A fan series on Tank Abbott. Well, you know, it's it's critical commentary rather than uh, just standing him, isn't it? That's how I prefer yeah, to see it. It is, but it's it's one of those funny things. Like throughout this this thirty six weeks <laughs> or thirty six episodes, it's been um, a real pleasure for me to see you know a lot of WCW that I've never seen before and uh, and unearth some uh, some new favourites like Tank Abbott, you know, like Crowbar that we've talked about. Uh, and that that was that was initially just from hearing him on commentary, so yeah, it's been a it's been a fun ride. But all good things must come to an end, and, uh, and season two is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So the unbooking the Tankatory is going to be exclusive on the unbooking the territory channel. Then the following week we'll be back doing the normal shows on uh, released on both channels, the unbooking the territory and the interesting podcast, where we get into the first episode of season two. Yeah, it's going to be fun. There'll be uh, maybe a couple of little bits changed around and 
few bits uh, chopped and changed and obviously we're going to be going with a bit of a different concept but uh hope you come along for the ride yeah yeah it'd be good and if you if you just tuned in now go back to the start and listen through to uh, the entire run of season one or listen in reverse order and really fuck your brain up yeah yeah that, that'd be confusing talking about really fucking your brain up are you drinking dan yes i am and i'm about to take a very trepidatious second swig of what is this called how much pressure can a pumpkin take which is a pumpkin spice sweet stout at six and a half percent from heist brewing co i think it's a collaboration with full circle brew co i forgot what pumpkin tastes like and it doesn't taste like what i thought it tastes like you're so, thinking of treacle weren't you yeah because this tastes like ass <laughs> sorry heist sorry heist and full circle it's not it's not you it's me <laughs> it turns out I don't like pumpkin spice I, I should stick to my IPAs because I'm a, I'm a basic white bloke not a basic white woman uh, have you got anything to follow that? Uh, I have I've got uh, these are the beers by the way that I, uh, I left in my office when I uh, I bought them on the Friday before I ended up going off on the sick and then uh, left them there just retrieved them this week because I've gone back to work so next up I've got City of Cake Chocolate Fudge Cake Stout from Hamilton Brewery mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, I can actually find the strength on that. It's just a five and a half percenter. And then next up is uh, Little Critters Brewing Company, Great Danish Maple and Pecan Pastry Stout. Oh, that's that, nice. That's a seven point four percenter. And I had to get it because the uh, the can art's just got a mad dog chef uh, that looks like he's making some sort of pie. Fantastic! I, I very much approve. I'll uh, be sure to look out for that one. I'm polishing off the Brew York Wrestling connection ones i've got the sweet chinook music which is the Shawn michaels one it's a brew york collab with uh, yakim chef hops and that's 5.5 percent. i think they're all 5.5 percent in this range um yep. i've then got the scotty two hoppy same brewery that it's collabed with um another 5.5 percent uh, pale ale and then i'm going to go on to squiggle which is a a hazy pale ale from Siren Brewing. Uh, that's 4.7. Now, I always have this when I drink low alcohol drinks. I've literally just, while we've been talking for the last seven minutes, drank uh, the sweet Chinook music. So <laughs> I don't know if it works out well for me because I just, I just like down them. So. I mean, well, to be fair, we've both done it before. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I know a guy who you know is famous for how much he can drink and someone bet him he couldn't drink three pints in 15 minutes. And he was like, oh, no, that's ridiculous. I couldn't do that. That'd kill you. Tell you what, though, I'll do four in 20. Do the maths, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> and I got told at a works function that me drinking a pint in 10 minutes was quick. Well, it is quick, but I didn't think it was outlandish for the first one after a bad day's work. Well, it, it depends what it was a pint of, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Terps. Yeah, the, the four pints in 20 minutes guy starts out with a, the night with a bottle of red wine, um, you know, just because he wants something light to start out with. Jesus, red wine is many things light is not one of them. There you go. So now it's time for the beer sommelier section of the show where the listeners can sit back and relax and be the virtual calm hour and we'll be the virtual Reginald and recommend a drink that they should have while they're watching this episode of Monday Nitro. Seeing as this is the last Nitro, I am going to go for another Brew York beer to collab with Emperor Brewery. It's the final chapter. It's a 15% Imperial Double Milk Stout. It's one that I gave 4.25 
uh, to Untapped. You you gave it four, and uh, Beth gave it one point five, and uh, usually uh, commodinal ra- ratings that she gives. <laughs> I have got mine, and I did want to tie it into Nitro. Uh, so I've gone for a beer by one of our favourite breweries, uh, Lervig, uh, and I've gone for their Nitro Latte uh, Stout, 6% alcohol. So a little bit on the weak side for me on this show, but uh, it was a really lovely solid beer. I gave it 3.25 uh, out on Untapped, which is a decent rating. It's uh, It does what it says on the tin. It's coffee, chocolate, it's a milk stout, so a bit of sweetness to it. And uh, it went down very smooth. It's just Lervig again. I've never had a bad beer from them. Yeah, no, they're a decent brewery. I uh, just cracked into the Scotty Two Hoppy. I, I can't tell the difference between that and the uh, Sweet New Music. I was going to say that before. It was it was really cool seeing the cans and having the theming of it. They all t- they were all middle of the road, inoffensive. Just yeah, they were there. They were, I didn't have a bad time drinking them. I didn't have a good time drinking them. But I don't regret it. It's yeah, it was didn't live up to the cans. No, no. There's a lot of beers that do that. Great can art, but then uh, you know, it's just magic rock inhaler. <laughs> Which there's nothing wrong with being magic rock inhaler. Just don't try and dress oh, yourself no. up as anything more than that. Yeah, it's just uh, I find a lot of IPAs and whatever just just taste the same, you know, under the can art. But yeah, much much better off with stouts. So now it's time for Best Beer of the Week. And Best Beer of the Week is Brooklyn Lager by Brooklyn Brewery. So Best Beer of the Week there was Brooklyn Lager. It's 5.2% lager from Brooklyn Brewery. It's one that Beth gave 1.5 to. Um, <laughs> I have discussed it that she's turning into a bit of a meme with these low-rated <laughs> beers. Have you asked her if she's got untapped the wrong way around? No, she she had uh, when I when I said about this, um, she said she hadn't realised. But you know, that then she uh, had an evil glint in her eye and was uh, looking through her untapped for uh, low ranked beers. So we, we may be getting uh, you know best least favourite beers that she's recommending. If we're back for season two, well, yeah, we were talking about it later on, um, and she was actually driving at the time, so I was taking my life in my hands. And uh, somebody cut her up, and uh, she was suggesting that she should have uh, her expletive of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. That'd be good, actually. Well, so I'm going to get cancelled. I gave this Brooklyn Lager 2.5, and you gave it 3.25. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's good as Brooklyn Lager. It's a decent drink. I think that was probably one I had in my early days of Untapped before I delved into the uh, the wonders of the stout. And got myself a sort of a bit of a higher baseline and uh, sort of uh, flavour profile. I might have to do some recalibration on that one. Maybe, maybe get Graham in to uh, do some contracting for how you're going to uh, change all your scores. I, I'm not going to go back and do that. I can't be asked. Well, you might not be asked with these things, but some things are important. So obviously, the WWF have bought WCW by this point. The Fusion Media deal from. Eric Bischoff has fallen through. So Vince McMahon's in charge of the overall company, so he's going to need to find some people to go and write this episode of Monday Nitro. And Bruce Pritchard's one of them. We've seen him before, but we haven't seen Shane McMahon in a prominent booking position before. So before Vince makes that appointment, he's going to have to log into LinkedIn and look at some (laughs) of the qualities that uh, would make Shane an appropriate person to put in this position. This young, unknown upstart. Yeah, it's probably just also worth mentioning that 
Gerald Briscoe went to the last Nitro as well as the muscle to ensure that nothing bad happened. Yes, I don't know if we. I'm sure we talked about that on the last episode. Uh, I can't remember if it might have been off record off the off the call, but yeah, that's great. What a great person to send as the muscle. I bet he could probably still kick some ass at that point, though. Yeah, not Scott Steiner's ass, though. No. no well, maybe. Yeah, Judy Bagwell wasn't there, so they were safe. <laughs> so, in terms of Shane McMahon's LinkedIn, Vince is going to log in and have a look. Um, finds out that he's a fourth generation in the wrestling industry after Jess McMahon, Vincent J. McMahon, and himself, Vincent K. McMahon. Shane starts working in the wrestling industry at the age of 15. He's working in the warehouse, filling in merchandising orders. But he left, he left it late getting him to work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he was uh, doing more than that earlier. It's just because uh, of child labour laws. They don't want to admit it. They don't uh, want to disclose it that he was agenting at 10. Yeah. <laughs> at age 17, he starts working as a ref, as Shane Stevens. And the first event he works is Royal Rumble 88. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Going back and watching it absolutely blew my mind seeing Shane in a ref shirt. Yeah. Uh, and being a referee, he actually is the first person to walk out into the crowd at WrestleMania 6. Yes, I'd forgotten that. Amazing. Yeah. And you might joke about him uh, booking uh, early on or agenting or whatever. He starts working as a backstage official. Uh, and you can see him at WrestleMania 8 as one of the people that's trying to keep apart uh, Flair and Savage. Yeah, I remember covering that with James and Mags on uh, that 90s wrestling podcast. He graduates from Boston University in 1993 with a degree in communication, so it's the same alma mater and the same degree that Stephanie did. I wonder where he got that. I wonder, I wonder where she got that idea. Shane's older, right? Yeah, he is. Well, I mean, clearly Vince is pushing them down this direction, so it clearly shows what Vince thinks is going to be important, working <laughs> in the company later on. Here's what I want for you. You have a job for life. If you want it, go do it. Yeah. And then he goes on to work as a producer. He makes his on-screen talent debut in 1998. He's um, part of the on-screen, where they're negotiating with Mike Tyson. That is uh, Vince's assistant in his feud with Stone Cold. So I think this is when Vince is training for the Rumble and they're in the slow chase. And oh, the stuff. I absolutely love those. Love that vignette. It's brilliant. And he's an enforcer for Vince with Patterson and Briscoe. The, the triumvirate of toughness. He then moves on to commentary and is an announcer on Sunday Night Heat, initially with Cornet and uh, latterly with Kevin Kelly. I'd completely forgotten that. Yeah, he actually does the commentary for the WWF Attitude game with Jerry Lawler. I'd forgotten that as well. It's been that long since I played that game. I love that. When that came out, that was revolutionary. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a decent game, his attitude. Then he goes back on to sort of the on-screen roles. Is that brings his mates in for the Mean Street Posse. <laughs> they get their asses kicked by Patson and Briscoe. He wins the European title and then retires the title so he can retire as an undefeated champion. It's one way to do it. And then, it was that before, that must have been before Midian found it in a bin. No, uh, well, Shane brought it back and gave it to Midian. Oh, that was it, yeah. And then he ends up taking control of the corporation and feuding with uh, Vince McMahon's union, which we've oh, seen God. in the episodes. The union was, it was a thing. A lot it of was. Denim. 
Yeah, and um, whatever else you say about Shane McMahon, he was nominated, well, he, he won the award for the 1999 Pro Wrestling Illustrated Rookie of the Year. Uh, I... Yeah, okay. Yeah, he actually ends up declining the award, saying the award should be for the boys rather than management. Well, yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah. WrestleMania 2000 is involved in the McMahon in any corner match. Did he have uh, Rock in his corner, or was it Austin? So so, um, Vince had Rock, Shane had Big Show, um, Triple H and Mick Foley was in Linda's. Linda was in Mick Foley's corner. Why did I think Big Show was in that match? Big Show is, it's Shane's, because that's the one that we saw the Shokishi match 29 days later when (laughs) uh, he's dressed in a thong after being in the main event at WrestleMania. I, I I liked gimmick stealing Big Show. Yeah, you thought that was a, a promotion from the main event of WrestleMania to horseshit. At SummerSlam 2000, he falls off the Tron in the match against uh, Steve Blackman. Iconic. Yeah, absolutely iconic. That writes him off TV for a little while. And then he returns in 2001 to feud with Vince over his affair with Trish. Never mind writing him off TV. It nearly wrote him out of life if it had gone <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I imagine we'll get to the Vince and Trish uh, relationship should we call it, but I can see why why Shane had come back after that. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, he's in a feud with Vince McMahon, so it kind of makes sense to uh, have him on Nitro, and that might play into the storylines later on in the show. Who knows? Who knows? So, just in terms of the ratings, obviously this is a one-off episode. Um, it had a rating of three. That compares to the previous period, where it was Taylor, Ferrara, and Laurinaitis, which is an average of 2.29. Although, you know, effectively, this is a one-off. Everyone knows it's the last one. And this only sort of partially went head-to-head with Raw. So there was an hour of Nitro, then they were head-to-head for an hour, and then Raw was on its own for an hour. I actually didn't remember that either until uh, we got to the the very end of the show. I forgot that it wasn't a full simulcast. Um, just because, obviously, you know, over time, these things slip your mind. But actually, uh, I had a little look into a few stats of my own about uh, just WCW in general and Nitro. So the death of WCW, it's, it's been WCW at this point for 13 years. And Nitro has been running for five years and about five years and seven months. 288 episodes of Nitro, including this one. 83 weeks beating Raw. Nine different head book combos comprising of eight different people. And they had 17 world champions sharing 47 reigns during that five years and seven months. Those numbers are just absolutely insane. But the funny thing is, looking at the number of different sort of head booker combinations, uh, you know, with nine, Raw, sort of technically, if you include the network switches, had the same. So we've ended up with a nice, uh, nice even split. Yeah. When we first started doing these reviews, we did a lot of Raws because of, you know, Vince McMahon and Cowboy Bill Watts and mm. Bruce Pritchard on his own and then Bruce Pritchard with Cornet and then Cornet with Russo. They changed a hell of a lot, probably reflective of them not doing very well. And obviously, we get that on the Nitro side as well, plus all the fallouts mm. and backstage politics, etc. Yeah, there's there was a very sort of interesting... Over the course of this podcast, there's been a very interesting ebb and flow in terms of, like I say, lengthy spells of Raw when they were on the down, you know, on the slide, and then lengthy spells of Nitro when they were chasing and 
it was uh, yeah, a very interesting thing. And I, I've joked in the past about how your sort of goal with the with, with coming up with this podcast was to get people to realise that Vince Russo didn't kill WCW. But as we've said on, on this many times before, and all joking aside, the numbers do not lie. Vince Russo kept WCW going when yeah. when when virtually nobody could. I mean, obviously, we've given Kevin Nash a lot of stick, and we've had issues with a lot of the Terry Taylor stuff. I guess, to a certain extent, Nash gets almost a pass because people loved him as a wrestler, as Big Sexy or whatever. Mm. I don't think it's a coincidence that Terry Taylor's come out of this period without a bad reputation when he's got such a close relationship with the Dirt Sheets. Yeah. And it's when you it's when you look a little bit further into that, and then you realise the bullshit basically. Yeah. And how it was, yeah. and how in a lot of in a lot of cases, yeah, obviously Russo did stuff that's aged badly or didn't hit the mark and all the rest of it. Show me a booker who hasn't. Quite frankly. Yeah. But you can't, like as we said again, the numbers do not lie. And over the course of the show, I found myself to enjoy the Russo written and produced episodes more, I think, more on average than any other. Well, it's interesting you, can, you say that because at the end of the show, we will go through a spreadsheet that I've created where I've collated all the scores that people have given between you and me and all the guests that we've had, and uh, I can tell you who you thought was best. Uh, and Rob will tell me I'm fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the one thing about, um, and it is going to be a little skewed because, say, tonight, Shame at man, this is going to be his only time in charge of creative that we're going to review. Mm. So he, he'll get a, a one and done. Bischoff was only there for two. Like Bruce Pritchard we're covering tonight, he's there for five. Whereas Russo's there for probably more than anybody else. So yeah. it's very different looking at a couple of results to well over ten. So we shall, we shall see. We'll have a look at that at the end of the show. So this episode of Nitro was on the 26th of March, 2001. It came from Panama City Beach, Florida, from the Broadwalk Beach Resort. I believe this is the only time there's ever been wrestling at this resort, so there's no figures to compare it to. Although, and it's a weird one because the crowd looks a little bit sparse, but you can see people like on the balconies of the hotel watching it and stuff. Mm. And I think they'd sold it to the capacity that they could do for the show if that makes sense. So it's a bit of a weird setup. But there's probably a reason that they managed to sell all those hotel rooms and tickets to Nitro in the combo package. Because... Five dollars. <laughs> no, well, no, I mean, I've, well, we'll come on to how much if you want to stay there. But there was a certain incentive that was offered for this show. Oh, God. So for the five hours around this Nitro, it was all you can drink for $30. I need a time machine. I can't find how much a hotel would have charged for beer in 2001. Presumably it'd be more than buying at the supermarket. You could buy a six-pack for $6.47 in 2001. However, obviously, hotel prices are going to be way more than that. Apologies if you hear any, hear any heavy breathing. Uh, it's just me thinking of the concept of five hours free beer for $30. Yeah. So... You know, I mean, obviously they promoted these spring breakouts uh, yeah. previously, um, you know, to catch you know the college kids market. But yeah, if you are interested in going, you can actually book a room for next weekend. It's uh, 177 
£268 a night for a four-bedroom apartment or £268 a night for a six-bedroom apartment, but they are at 98% capacity, so still uh, selling out those tickets even without Nitro being there. <laughs> yeah, there will be, um, and the price will probably go up even more because at time of recording, uh, we're just coming towards the end of October and uh, America's opening its borders again in about, uh, about nine, ten days' time, so all the Brits will be going over again. Yeah. Which will be fucking pandemonium. To as Vince described it, the redneck <clears throat> Riviera. Yeah, I did love that. I did love that for the, the parts of that promo where I woke up. So now it's time to go for our collective top five of the show, whether they be good, bad, or just talking points. So what would be your first point, Dan? For the first point, I think you've got to you've got to start at the start. Um, we have the opening, you get the usual, is it the Cat's Anus logo it's called? It is, yeah. Yeah, which I still hate, it's crap, but then the first thing we see is Vince McMahon and the Raw interview set on Nitro, and it's just weird. It's just so odd, even all these years later, it's just bizarre, and Vince is there giving, him, giving one of his Tony Blair promos. Imagine that, me, Vince McMahon. Imagine that, me on WCW television. I'll drop the accent. And he's giving, you know, he's asking his hypothetical questions, and then he gives his explanation and saying he's bought his competition. That's right, I own WCW. Therefore, in its final broadcast on TNT tonight, I have the opportunity to address you, the WCW fans. I have an opportunity to address you, the WCW superstars. What is the fate of WCW? Well, tonight on a special simulcast... The repetition is strong in this one. We'll all find out because the fate, the very fate of WCW is in my hands. And he holds his hands, sort of cups his hands in front of him and gives a really creepy shit-eating grin. And I can only imagine there's a really creepy <coughs> shit-eating grin on the other channel with James and Mags covering Raw. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting this forward just because of how iconic and strange it was seeing Vince on Nitro, especially at that time after all the years of competition. Yeah, it was. It wasn't on the top five. Uh, obviously, there's more simulcasty stuff later on that we might come to. But I can't disagree with you that it's an iconic moment and it's something you, you don't expect. You know, it's not the first time that the WWF have taken over someone's television or a portion of someone's television. But it's certainly the first time that they've made it feel like a victory dance. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, there was that thing, I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s, where Vince was on uh, presenting WCW. Yeah. Uh, for, for at least a couple of episodes. Yeah, they, they'd got the television slot, but I think they showed WWF programming. And obviously, you know, in 88, they'd come in and taken some of the World of Sport time slots. But obviously, this is the last Nitro. The company's dead, effectively. They've bought the competition. And, you know, there was times when they were taking the water coolers out of Titan Towers. So you, you can maybe understand it in a way. So on that logic, I guess I have to go with it. Well, if you want to stick a pin in it and explore the others, um, I do have something on my top five that would tie in with this. If you, or if you want to keep it on now, we can maybe look at combining some if we need to. And Well, we'll leave it on there for now, and we'll see how okay. we get on. Hey, yeah. it's our show. We can do what the fuck we like. <laughs> Apart from on the other channel where our show's been taken over. 
<laughs> well, I'm just going to keep it chronological. I'm going to go to the very next thing that happens. We get Ric Flair coming out and cutting a promo. Ric Flair's recently had surgery, but he's come back for the final Nitro. And basically within this promo, you know, he's saying... You know, how convinced hold WCW in the palm of his hand. You know, he's naming some of the greats that have been in WCW before. He's saying, you know, like the, the Jack Briscoes and the Dory Funks and the Harley Race and the Road Warriors and the Stings and the Lugers, the Steiners, Bagwell. Buff Bagwell. <laughs> well, the thing about Buff Bagwell, you know, I know he's a little bit of a meme these days, but Buff Bagwell and Sting are the only two people who were in WCW for that entire sort of 13-year run or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, everybody else came and went. Even Ric Flair himself went to WWF. But, um, you know, Bagwell and Sting were the ultimate company men. So it kind of makes sense. And and as much of a joke as he kind of comes across, he's, he's always been over on these shows that we've watched. He's an easy target for mockery, to yeah. be fair. He's Bagwell, and it's kind of low-hanging fruit. But I'm not above that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I will take it, but... You know, I'll, I'll admit, I, I have enjoyed, well, it's, it's documented, I've enjoyed Bagwell segments, I've enjoyed Bagwell yeah. matches, so it can't be all bad. He's just very easy to mock because he's such a conceited douchebag. Yeah, he's not received the five awards that you've given Jeff Jarrett during the run of this podcast series, though. Well, you know, we have endured some utter shite where, uh, where someone as shite as Jarrett just happened to stand out. <laughs> Flat also mentions uh, Ricky Steamboat. And then he's saying to kind of phrase, I don't think so. Basically just sort of talking about, you know, the end of WCW, you know, and, and sort of Vince McMahon's relationship to him and saying that, you know, not for nothing, um, it was your father when he was on the uh, committee that voted for me to become world champion, you yeah. know, sort, sort of pulling that back in. So it that was, promise. I've transcribed as best I can every promo on this show because I wanted to just do a bit more than I usually do. Um, and the Flair's exact words, he says, and, uh, just for trivia, Vince McMahon, do you know that in 1981, when you were trying to become an announcer, your dad was on the board of directors and voted for me to be the world's champion? He gives a will. How about that? And ever since the, ever since that day, I have been in him. He goes into his limousine riding jet, flying, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, son of a gun. <laughs> well, I know you'll get into the rest of it, but... I've shit on Flair promos that we've come across on this show. Yeah. I won't be shitting on this one. No. You know, and he, he talks about, you know, the fight between WWF and WCW being in the office. And, you know, it's not necessarily between the boys, you know, but saying the boys are here tonight. And, you know, saying that we were WCW, you know, we, we bled, we sweat. And we did it all for an hour in the ring. And would Vince McMahon do that effectively? When was the last time you wrestled for an hour? I can't do Ric Flair. It's very difficult. Where's Jay Lethal when you need him? <laughs> <laughs> then he calls out Sting for the final match. And this kind of bookends Nitro because it was the first match on the first Nitro and the last match on the last Nitro. Was Sting on so, the first match on the first um, Nitro? The first match, I thought, was... Um, Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman. Ah, you're right, yeah. It was certainly on the, it was, it was on the first Nitro. It was made sure because the main event was Hulk Hogan, Hogan versus Ray Trailer. Yeah. 
Uh, but it was on the show, and it's certainly going to be the last match of WCW. And believe it or not, Vince McMahon is the person that requested this match. That's surprising. I didn't know that. But it just goes to show that obviously, obviously Vince is paying attention. He knows what WCW fans want to see. And he's happy for that to be the last match. He's not happy for that to be the last memory of WCW. <laughs> Uh, but he's happy for it to be the main event, so to speak. At least in terms of match position on the card. I guess you've already sort of shown your hand in terms of what you think about this promo, but any thoughts? This was Flair at his best. Yeah, back to his best, should I say. Um, I mean, from pretty much day one when we encountered a Flair promo on this show, I haven't liked them. It was a mile a minute. He's trying to get 15 different things out at once. Or he's doing the just the the over the top crazy flare bullshit, which never really landed for me. But this this was real, and I, I won't be convinced otherwise. Nobody gave Flare a script that he was told to go out there, and I don't think anybody could have stopped him saying what he wanted to say anyway. No, you know, in, ter- in terms of the history of WCW, how much it's meant to him, you know, being the 14-time world champion. Giving the you know giving all the all the props to everybody who's ever worked for WCW and then the camaraderie with the you know backstage, conspicuous by his absence in the name rundown is Hogan. Yeah, and in fact that's a running well not a running thing but you know Hogan's uh, conspicuous by his absence in Flair's promo and then something we'll get onto later on, he just gets outright shit on. So, yeah, th- this was a goodbye, yeah. essentially. It was a goodbye in, in everything but naming it. It was Flair building up to having one last ride with, as he said multiple times, his greatest rival. In fact, he even says, so tonight, if we're going out, we're going out on a high note. Stinger, the nature boy, wants you tonight. Sting, Sting, my greatest opponent. Sting, it's your last chance to be the man. You've got to beat the man. And Sting, I'm the man. Woo. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of problems with Rick Flair in 2021, but in terms of being the face of WCW. Well, you've got the two guys here, really, haven't you? Yeah. Flair had his little sojourn into WWF in the early 90s. But in terms of Nitro, from what we've covered, he has been WCW. He's been the face of the company in one capacity or another, be it, you know, be it in, I don't recall, I don't think we've ever seen him in a main event, but he's always been a focal point or he's been an authority figure or a CEO. It's yeah, that, that's probably just reflective on the uh, nitros that we covered. I'm sure there are a lot of them there. I tell you, if, we saw uh, Hogan Flair in that yes. uh, that that great states match. Yes, we did. Yeah, that was really good. But if Ric Flair or Sting are the face of WCW, would you say that Buff Bagwell being there for 13 years is the calves of WCW? <laughs> The skinny calves that could do with an implant. <laughs> oh, bless him. So are you happy for this to go on the list? It was on my top five. Yeah, absolutely. What's your next one, Dan? Let's stay chronological. The first match on the show, Booker T versus Scott Steiner, US title and world heavyweight title, unification match, which is huge. And it's amazing to see it actually kicking off the show. But as we said, as I said last week, there's only two match slots that matter, the main event and the opener. It was stupid having Steiner come out first, though, as world heavyweight champion. 
you know, it's a pet peeve. It's like, what are you doing? He's your champion, for God's sake. Actually, did as good a job as possible with the, the stage and the set. So they had a flame flames on Booker's entrance, uh, which looked really good. The uh, the rigging around the, uh, around the ring looked awesome, I thought, um, especially later on, but we'll come to that. We get Steiner rowing with the fans and Booker geeing him up. And one thing that struck me about this match, I won't go into it hole for hole, Booker and Steiner seem to have great chemistry. Like you get the feeling yeah. that some guys just work well together. Uh, you know, obviously watching from as a fan with no real knowledge of what goes into the in-ring. There was a great exchange of holes and big moves. Medeja even got to to throw her hand in there, literally slapping the shit out of Booker. And again, you know, we get all the classics. We get Steiner doing his belly to belly uh, with the crowd in a frenzy. Uh, you get the clothesline by Steiner and then he's doing his press-ups after his bicep pose elbow. Booker T hit all his big moves. It was just a lot of fun. It didn't go as long as I remember it, which was odd, but it felt like two guys going out there doing the best they could with the time they were given, having fun doing it. And I don't think you can really ask much more from a wrestling match. No, and obviously the Steiners and Harlem Heat had worked extensively together, so you know it's not just the singles time together yeah. that they've had. Yeah, of course. Um, I think we get the finish... Um, Steiner gets Booker up for the powerbomb. Booker sort of spins through it, lands on his feet, and he hits the bookend. But uh, that was after you'd seen, for example, Booker going for the bookend, but Steiner reversing into a Northern Light suplex. Just stuff yes. like that that was just so smooth. And you, you it's easy to forget, because, again, Steiner's become a bit of a meme. Easy to forget how good he was. Yeah. Steiner was the man in 2000, um, early 2001 in WCW. It, it looks great. You know, he was the right person to push. Obviously, this match is kind of driven a little bit by sort of the contract situations. And, yeah, Booker T is going to be turning up in WWF shortly after this. And it's going to be a while before Scott Steiner makes his way over because of all the contract dealings. So, obviously, you know, they've got to put Booker over and make him Booker two belts. Yeah, <laughs> Booker Two, that's the four-time, 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 four-time WCW champion. Yeah, at this point. I mean, well, you know, obviously he's stolen that from DDP's two-time, 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 two-time WCW <laughs> champion. But yeah, he's, he's, he's rolling with it. Were you just going to discuss the match? Are we going to discuss any of Booker's uh, dealings later on in the show? Uh, no, it was just the match for me. I had a feeling you might bring the promo up. I would hate the player. Hate the game. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. Well, that noise right there means it's uh, time for Steve to booker it better. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Cole. With the closing of WCW, I just want to say this, Cole. It may be the end of the chapter. But let me tell you something, Cole. There are many, many more pages left in this book. So let me tell you something, Cole. This is where I will prove that I'm the best in the business. And if anybody wants to beat me, stick on to me like a man. But let me tell you something, Cole. I will prove I'm the best in each and every way, sucker. But like I always say, like I say and every time and time again, don't hate the player. Hate the game. So believe it or not, I think Steve-O managed to get less let me tell you some things into that promo than the actual Booker T promo. <laughs> he had a lot to tell us. He, had a lot he did. To tell us. He was using it as punctuation. 
it's like stuttering or it's like using erm or some people like me just say, oh, fucking, what was I fucking on about? Although I will say the start of the uh, the start of the promo because the the uh, sound issues was unintelligible the broadcast. So for that alone, I think Steve will book it better. There's no think about it. Steve will definitely book it better. I mean, Booker T kept falling over himself in this promo. <laughs> it wasn't the best. But... I wish we'd got Booker T's blooper reels like we got Steve O's blooper reels. Steve O's blooper reels just they give me life during the week. <laughs> They're brilliant. So, I mean, in terms of this Scott Steiner versus Booker T, I can't argue with it, you know. Should we just go through the whole show? <laughs> we, yeah, it, it might be an idea at this point because, yeah. To be fair, there was a lot of shit as well. There was some really good stuff, but there was somewhere I was just thinking, what? Cool. Well, let's try and find something that we can disagree with. You know what? I'm going to stick chronologically and go to the next thing just because it's like a what the fuck moment. Because the very next thing that comes after this is Ricky Rackman's back. And no, 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 he's not going on. <laughs> I didn't think he would. But just, just for the, like, the bizarreness of this, that they have Ricky Rackman in to advertise the spring break. And, you know, if WCW had been a going concern and they were going to be around this time next year for spring break. It might have made some sense that they're advertising the fun people were having on it, but well, there were, there com- were this, this was an extended one eight hundred collect ad. Well, there was the one eight hundred collect ad, which is on at this point, and then we get an America Online one, which is basically the same later on, and it's just college See, kids shouting one eight hundred collect or America Online. Do you know how this shows that WCW is off down the pan? Castrol GTX didn't jump on the bandwagon. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's something in there about not wanting an oil slick on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even think about that. It's, it's not a great image, is it? <laughs> Castrol will want to stay well away from that one. <laughs> yeah, they're not BP. Disco Inferno's there getting his free holiday as uh, as usual. The Natural Bone Thrillers were there and Booker T was there. Uh, Miss Hancock signing uh, autographs. Although I think she's just Stacey at this point. Uh, yeah, I think she was, based on what we saw later. But it was just it's just weird. Like it, it, We're in the era of, at this point, in 2001, of, of sex sells. But does sex really sell saving on long-distance phone calls? Depends who you're phoning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calling the early 2000s equivalent of Babe Station, 1-800-COLLECT. Yeah, I don't think Babe Station would fall for that. <laughs> I want to crack one out, but I don't want to pay for it. Yeah, can I reverse the charges? (laughs) (laughs) I bet some tight fucker tried that. Who knows? I dare to dream. I wish you could see Rob's face. He looks so unimpressed at the thought. Yeah, that's not how business works. Right, so it's you next, Dan. Yeah, fuck Ricky Rackman. He's not going on. So are we uh, we going through? Are we just going through the whole show? Or should we try and uh, no, we'll find something five. else for top top five? Yeah, go we on. We found something we don't agree on, so this gives me faith we can get a proper top five. This, to be fair, this next one might uh, might be a point of disagreement as well, because I want to talk about the filthy animals versus prime time and uh, and Kid Romeo, in because it's this is a rare commodity. This match, a WCW cruiserweight tag title match. 
earlier on we had a, a qualifier, which was uh, Filthy Animals versus Young Dragons versus Three Count, which was absolutely insane. Um, I tried to I tried to note down as many spots as I could for that one. I just I had to give up after a minute and a half. The champions out first again, which was a pain in the ass. They'd only been champions for a day, though. I mean, this isn't the most prestigious belt the WCW has ever had. It doesn't matter. Champions out second, even if they've only, even if they're a thrown together tag team, have only been champions for a day, and they're going to wrestle two of the biggest cruiserweight stars that WCW have got. One thing I will say though, those cruiserweight tag belts look nice. They did, um, but the, the champs even have separate entrances. Which just showed you, you got Prime Time, who's Elix Skipper, uh, and then Kid Romeo. I did, I've never heard of Kid Romeo. Comes in very, very late on in WCW. Yeah, so I did a little bit of a, a look into his career. Um, he started out as a stripper and decided to become a wrestler when they, that didn't quite pan out. He was trained by Paul Arndorf, uh in the power plant. And I've just remembered your Freudian slip of Paul Arndorf, Yeah. Uh, which... His career seems to be doing the inverse Bagwell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the gimmick was uh, actually modelled on uh, Ricky Martin, uh, apparently. So, okay. Um, La Vida Loca. Yeah. He and Skipper, obviously, the uh, sort of prime time, the inaugural WCW Cruiserweight Tag Champions, and that's pretty much the highlight of his career. After WCW died, uh, wrestled in Puerto Rico for a bit. He jobbed a bit around TNA until 2005. Took a three-year hiatus uh, during that time. He was next. He worked as an exterminator. Uh, he came back to wrestling in 2008 briefly for NWA South Atlantic, where he was part of their tag champions for six months, and then retired as soon as they lost the belts. So he kind of just thought, not a champion anymore. So fuck it. But in terms of this match, this was this match sort of encapsulated everything good about the cruiserweight division. It was just it, this match would actually stand up today. You could watch this match on a Dynamite or, uh, you know, on Impact or probably even, you know, WWE or anything, and it would it would more than stand up. Again, there's so many spots and so many reversals. Just the start of the match, primetime jumps, uh, jumps Kidman. He tries to whip Kidman. Kidman hits a head scissors. Then uh, primetime reverses, uh, reverses an Irish whip. We get two hip toss reversals. And then Kidman gets prime time up in this weird sort of. It's a bit like the hole for a uh, for a glam slam, you know, from uh, that Beth Phoenix used to do. And Ray just springboards and drop kicks him in the head. And that's the start of the match. It's a two count, and then twenty seconds later, we've got prime time reversing an Irish whip into a belly to belly and tagging in uh, Kid Romeo and essentially hitting like uh, like Lance Archer's ba- uh, blackout, but to assist Romeo. In hitting a hitting a flipping senton off the top, I can't believe you missed the most important part of this match, which happened right at the start. Go on. So we'd had William Regal telling Vince McMahon that was he sure he wanted to buy WCW? You know, a lot of crazy things happening. WCW, it's a bad place. And then at the start of this match, Tony Schiavone says, "We've had to do some crazy things, Steve Regal, like put your ass over." I completely missed that. Oh, the shade. My word. You were too busy watching the flips. I was. I was mesmerised. Yeah, this match was just ridiculous. You, you had prime time using the uh, 
you know the, that sort of matrix they call it a matrix uh, escape from the pin but it's the uh, it's the manami toyota escape for me <laughs> where they just bridge up out of it and yet like i said there's too many different spots to mention but i think at one point kirumi hits a double underhook face buster Ray breaks the pin at two and then Ray power bombs Kid Romeo, does a swan dive, a swan dive headbutt for two. Primetime breaks the pin. Ray and Primetime trade waist locks and Primetime it's like a sort of a straight jacket German suplex for another two counters. Kidman breaks it breaks up the pin. In fact, this is going into the finish. Then Kid Romeo uh, drives Ray into the corner, the fall out of the ring. Kidman counts the play of the day into the Kid Crusher for the three count and new cruiserweight tag team champions. Well, you, you missed another important part because if you're getting your beers free for uh, five hours for $30, you're going to throw one of them at Kid Romeo and it's going to hurt. I missed that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's a lot in this match. Like I said, there's a lot happening. I was I was focusing on what was going on in the ring. <laughs> I didn't even see the beer hitting. Yeah. Yeah, so... And there was that as well, which isn't acceptable behaviour. It's not, but... It is pretty funny, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's exactly what I've said in my notes. You know, this is a 2021 AEW style tag team match. Sort of descended into that sort of tornado tag style. But, you know, a lot of these matches are kind of of the time. This this isn't, this this would stand up today. It, it was breathless. You, you didn't have chance to breathe before the next thing was happening. You maybe had a second. But then, like I say, it was, every, you know, the flying into breakup pins. But, yeah, just your head's on a swimming thinking, wow. <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, the thing that's kind of hurts me about it is Billy Kidman, because, you know, we'd seen on the reboot that there was a chance that they were going to, like, kick on with him and yeah. make him into something bigger. And then he sort of slipped back into this role, sort of during the Ferrara, Moronitis Taylor regime. Uh, and, you know, he's firmly established back in the cruiserweight division, whereas, you know, during Bischoff Russo and Russo on his own, there was a chance he was going to break out higher up in the card. It's one of those sort of wrestling what-ifs. What would it have been like if Kidman had been given that chance to to go for the gold or to, you know, get into the upper mid, you know, the upper card or the yeah. upper mid card? It's um, it's really interesting. You know, how would the, uh, you know, how would the big stars who had their established shtick you know, how, yeah. would, how would a Goldberg cope with a match with Kidman? How would Hogan cope with a match with Kidman? They actually had a match, um, Hogan and Kidman. But oh, in, yeah. terms, yeah, in, in terms of, you know, had WCW stuck around for another five years, I think Kidman is someone that probably could have broken out. He could have had the Eddie Guerrero-type push around about the same era. Yeah. Um, you know, it took it took Guerrero to what uh, two thousand and four, two thousand and five to get his championship. Yeah, this is the thing. Everyone assumes that the radicals go over and uh, sort of this overnight success, and they're really not. Obviously, been listening to a change in attitude. Shout out to uh, Ori, Tanner, and Mags over there, going through week by week. Uh, people, even Mags himself, has said he thought Austin was an overnight sensation. Yeah, and he really wasn't. It's uh, it's a bit of a Mandela effect. Yeah, it is. I think people remember sort of, you know, the end of the storyline rather than the time it took to get there. This might surprise you with this one, Dan, considering you said we'd disagree. This was actually on my top five. Fuck. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, it, it's, again, it, it's 
as a match, it's a collector's item. Yeah. There's not many, there's not, well, there's never going to be many cruiserweight tag team title matches from WCW, much less a title change. Yeah. I've just got two things left on my top five. And I think kind of both of them probably deserve to go on. And there's one obvious that has to go on. I've got two left. Yeah, I've got the main event and I've got the um, simulcast at the end. I've got the main event and I've got part of the simulcast. Well, yes, the, the, the last part of the yeah. simulcast. It is basically <laughs> what I've got, yeah. Because these the 15 minutes leading up to that was fucking painful. It was painful, but I do think it was interesting, especially that bit where Vince McMahon's going to the crowd and is sort of listing the people in WCW and, you know, mm. who should I keep, who should I, I fire, and he's doing He actually says Hulk Hogan, thumbs up, and there's a mixed reaction, and thumbs down, and there's a bit more of a cheer for, we don't want Hogan. Funnily enough, actually, with this, where Vince was doing the thumbs up, thumbs down, Bagwell was apparently backstage at WCW, and he was talking. I can't remember who he was talking to. It might have been his. It might have been his dad. His dad who he shot. What? What bag was shot? His dad. Did he? Yeah, yeah. His, his parents were having an argument. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I do remember that. Anyway, so it probably wasn't his dad. Um, <laughs> he was talking to somebody. No, I think, I think it was. I, th- I think they reconciled afterwards. <laughs> Oh, right, fair enough. Um, but he was talking to somebody backstage anyway, and he's saying, you know, I should just pack up and go. Because yeah. there's, no there's no way WWF want me. And somebody told him that Vince had name-dropped him during this yeah. promo because he wasn't watching it live. He said you were the third guy that Vince mentioned after Hogan and Luger. And I think Buff Bagwell gets really poorly done by because Buff Bagwell basically gives up his WCW contract that he's got time on and quite a lot of money on to sign a new, much lower deal with WWF. And they set him up to fail. They have him in a match, uh, you know, the Nitro on Raw match against Booker T. But it's the week before they're going to be in Atlanta. Yeah. If Buff Bagwell had come out in Atlanta, he would have been over his shit. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Yeah. It really would. So that was a bit of bollocks. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the best part of Vince's promo was when he was asking the crowd, let's start with Hulk Hogan. And it was mostly booze, to be fair. Yeah. Lex Luger again, mostly booze. Buff Bagwell got a pop. Yeah. He got, he got a pop and so did Booker T. <laughs> and no, I'm, not, I'm not doing the last bit of that. And then Vince tries to, he says, oh, you guys are a mixed group. And then Big Papa Pump gets a cheer. And he says, uh, I don't know that you necessarily help me, except let's just say this, and then you hear the Goldberg chants. Yeah. And he goes, Vince, I don't think Vince had planned to say any more names. But he just goes, there are a few others. All right, Sting, cheers. And then Goldberg, massive pop. Massive pop for Goldberg. Yeah. And, and then Vince just says, oh, well, this is very interesting. And then he just carries on his bullshit. Yeah, so, I mean, we weren't going to nominate the Vince part of it. I think... The Flair Sting definitely deserves an honourable mention. If we're struggling to sort of have everything on the top five, I would be happy to lump the Flair promo and the main event under the same banner. Yeah, we'll do that. Or you could even lump in the book ending 
uh, of the show with the McMahons. Well, we'll lump in Flair together because I think Shane McMahon deserves his moment in the song. Yeah, fair enough. So, what do you want to what do you want to talk about first? Should we go for the main event or should we go for the final final part of the show? We'll go for the main event and then we'll end with the end. <laughs> fair enough. It makes sense. I can't argue with that. Um, so it was your go, mate. So you take it away. Yeah. So it's Ric Flair versus Sting in the last ever WCW match on Nitro. Obviously, as we said, we're going to get that Nitro on Raw with Booker T versus Buff Bagwell. And we're going to get several matches for WCW titles over on WWF later on. Scott Hudson saying, even when Ric Flair jumped over to um, WWF, Sting was the one man who remained loyal and he knows what loyalty means. And they're talking about the history that they've got and saying about all the times that Sting and Flair have wrestled each other and saying... They actually wrestled against WrestleMania 4. Mm. You know, just sort of playing into the history of it. Ric Flair's wearing a T-shirt because he's just come away from the operation. You know, we get classic moments within this match. You know, Sting doing his gorilla press slam, the Flair turnbuckle bump and the Flair Pratt fall. And, yeah. you know, just the greatest hits from both of them you know rick flair uh, having him in the um figure four and then sting doing the reverse because everybody reverses rick flair's figure four <laughs> and, and then sort of hobbling around the ring you know and then sting a splash scorpion death rock sting wins but it's not just the match itself it's after the match sting helps flair up who's still sort of groggy from the match or whatever and the hog mm. And it feels like a real moment in wrestling. Yeah. As much as the Flair promo was real, this was real. The, the, the commentary reference, Sting and Flair smiling at each other. This was two guys who've been around the horn so many times and know each other so well and know they could put on a decent wrestling match in their sleep. They've said, let's go out there. We'll do our stuff. It's the last time we're going to be able to do it on, you know, on Nitro. Let's just have fun with it. From this match, in this setting, and on this show, you almost want it to be a greatest hit. You don't need to see anything new, because you know you're probably not going to see it again. And it was great. You know, we even got Sting doing his whole no-selling of the chops and the strikes and flexing and roaring back and then flare back into the corner. You've seen it before, but you don't care because it's brilliant. And I thought, Scott, you mentioned it before, Scott Hudson, is exemplary throughout the show as he always is but he really excelled himself before this match as you said when he was saying when it was in when it was on vogue to jump from wcw to wf even rick flair made the jump but this man from milwaukee wrestling federation to wcw was loyally bled wcw slept wcw seven time world heavyweight champion that proved night after night what loyalty meant and tonight he and rick flair are going to finish off nitro that was a great call and then yeah. at the end of the match, when you think it couldn't get better from Hudson, he gets personal and what it means to him. And he says, two men that I'm a big fan of. Thank you, Steve Borden. Thank you, Ric Flair, for everything you've given to this sport. And I think this was Hudson's way of signing off. Because if we said before, as we've said before, he never gave up his day job. And but- I think he knew he, I think he knew he was done as well. I was just going to ask you that because of all the stars that go over from WCW to WWF and everyone that they pick up, 
And bearing in mind they don't want to spend that much money on the people that they pick up. It feels to me that an obvious one that would have been a great fit, you know, you want to differentiate Raw from SmackDown. You know, you've already got like Paul Heyman at this point on the commentary team on Raw. Yeah. Scott Hudson, for the amount of money he'd had to pay him, has to be one of the best value signings he could get from WCW at this point. Yeah, and he's just he's so talented. Compared him to Mauro Ranallo before, in terms of his speech patterns, and, and sometimes the, the, yeah. the, he, he speaks a little bit louder when things are going nuts. He, he's not quite as loud as, as Ranallo is, but it's got that same energy to it. He, he was that style of commentary before Ronaldo, as far as I'm aware, before Ronaldo was doing it. And I just, yeah, I can't for the I can't for the life of me, anyone look at Nitro and say, who do we want? And they, they said, do we yeah. want Shavoni? He probably won't come. Do we want Hudson? No, we'll pass. Utter, utter madness. Unless Hudson turned him down. Who was head of talent relations at this point? Um, Jim, Jim Ross. Ah. That makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so suddenly, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Because uh, at this point, was it uh, was it J.R. and Heyman on, uh, yeah. on Raw? Yeah. So, yeah, J.R. didn't want to, maybe didn't, maybe had uh, another prana in the tank. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to think of the phrase, but he definitely had a uh, conflict of interest. He did, but yeah, it's a great, you know, what what could have been, you know. I mean, we've only had a couple of years of Scott Hudson doing the funders and then graduating to the Nitros at the reboot. What he could have achieved. You know, imagine if Scott Hudson was 20 years into a career on main, mainstream TV. Oh, it'd be unreal. Even if he didn't stay with WWE. Imagine if he'd have gone to a TNA or if he was still around and he turned up on an AEW or a Ring of Honor or New Japan. New Japan would have been a perfect fit for Scott Hudson. I mean, not not with his day job. Well, no, <laughs> in terms of his commentary style. <laughs> if, he, if he went full-time commentator and ended, imagine if it ended up Kevin Kelly and Scott Hudson as the regular commentary duo in New Japan. Or even yeah. when you know when, Ke- when Kevin Kelly and Callis were duo, imagine if they had a three-man booth with Scott Hudson. Yeah. Really is one of those great what-ifs, and um, I would not have registered, Scott Hudson would not have been on my radar had we not done this show. Yeah. I'm guessing isn't going on, so it's your go next, Dan, and I think I know where you're going. Yeah, well, I think we, we can always, like I said, we can always combine Flair, and St- uh, Flair versus yeah. Sting with the Flair promo. No, that, that's fair. We'll combine Flair versus Sting and the Flair promo. We've got them on, and then... Yeah, that's the... Um, the yeah, so we, we, we've lumped in the bookends of the the nitro portion of the show uh we we open the show with vince mcmahon on raw and uh we close it with shane mcmahon on nitro pretty much but as part of the raw part you know part of the raw broadcast vince has given his uh soliloquy and his uh you know his extended party conference speech <laughs> <laughs> and then when he's saying about you know, getting Ted Turner at WrestleMania to bring in the contract and then he's going to set him up in one corner and put, put Linda in the other corner and make him watch as he beats his son up. And then no chance in hell hits. Vince is beckoning for Shane to come out because he's said 17 times in 15 minutes that he's going to fight him at WrestleMania this Sunday. But Shane isn't at Raw. 
he's on Nitro. And he walks out. So what's up, Vince? Surprise, Dad, you're in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm here in Panama City Beach, Florida, standing in a WCW ring. And he says that Vince's ego's gotten the best of him. He said he wants to finalise the deal at WrestleMania. Wanted to have the he wanted to have the audacity to ask Ted Turner himself to come down and finalise the deal. And that was just the opportunity he was looking for. Because the deal is finalised with WCW. And the name on the contract does say McMahon. However, the contract reads Shane McMahon. And Vince's face. I've read it before that Vince's face can display about 15 different emotions at once. And this was no different. It was an absolute picture of shock, worry, betrayal, anger. He had everything. Another thing I've heard said about Vince McMahon is that he can convey more emotion through his Adam's apple than most people <laughs> can, can convey through their, through their entire face. And Shane carries on and that's right, I now own WCW. And Dad, just like WCW did in the past, how it kicked your ass in the past, it will again. That's exactly what's going to happen to you this Sunday at WrestleMania. And that is the last thing we see in a WCW ring. And it was completely glorious. And I remember watching it at the time and you're sort of thinking, you know, everything that they're saying and WCW is going to go away. And this gave you hope that it wasn't going to go away, you know. Yeah. And as a fan that stuck with WCW <laughs> through the Terry Taylor book in... <laughs> through the dark times. Through the dark times, you know. When WCW was good, you know, when the NWO was flying, when... When they did the reboot, all, all these sort of things that we've, we've touched on during this period, you know, when Bret Hart's there as double champion, all this sort of stuff, these great moments, it felt in this promo that there was a chance that that could come back in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I even felt it now watching it 20 years later, knowing how it all pans out. Yeah. It was brilliant. I mean, this, to me... This Shane McMahon promo is one of the best moments in the history of wrestling. Forget the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, when you take it in isolation, you forget what happened after and yeah. the route that, that WWF took with it and all the bullshit and and the fallout from it and the ultimately, like looking back yeah. on it, disappointing invasion angle, all of that. This, if again, what ifs? Imagine if they'd kept WCW alive as a as a fully fledged brand. Yeah, but they say this about being a football fan. It's the hope that kills you. As a Bluesfield Town fan, this Shane Man promo is the hope. Mm. You know, and you know, to, to me, it was absolutely, absolutely glorious. It's only sort of two minutes long a segment within itself that I've watched over and over and over again. You can have your seven-star matches in the Tokyo Dome or whatever. To me, this roller coaster of emotion is what's in, what encapsulates wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the funny thing is we've, we've shit on Vince's promo, and rightly so, because this, Vince's promo started with 17 minutes left yeah. of, of runtime. Shane's promo was two minutes. There was about yeah. a, there was a minute after, so we've had basically a quarter of an hour of Vince gloating, and it was it was hard to watch. Pride comes before a fall. Yeah, and, and this is this is the weird thing: is Shane's two minutes 
as impactful without the 14 minutes that preceded you of just sort of beating you down and making you feel shit about WCW. Is, is Shane's promo as effective without that? I don't think so, because I think, as I say, it's hope. And the only way that hope works is if hope's been taken away. Yeah. So as much as... And I suppose the, the saving grace for the Vince promo is we've watched a lot of monologues and dull opening segments or closing segments where it's just talking for talking's sake and it's very scripted and it's very flatly delivered and it's just not fun. Yeah. This at least had a point. And like you say, it's the hope that kills you. But what yeah. a high what a high to end the show on. I remember watching this at the time and thinking that WCW can't be dead. Yeah. Yeah. Same, I, I was I was sat there watching it, you know, Friday night, 10 o'clock, or, you know, nearly 12 by the time it finished. And, wow, the competition is still there. Yeah. Because I, I didn't see much WCW as a kid, but I knew enough to know there were competition. Yeah. Max and James are, are there re- reviewing the winning side. But actually, who comes out of this episode with the most hope? And I think it's the Nitro side. Well, yeah, comparatively, because they thought they were dead and buried. And now here's that 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 spark, that yeah. that one thing to latch on to. Yeah. So maybe we're not. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. That, that two minutes will be talked about for decades. More. Yeah. Decades more, because it's already been talked about for decades. <laughs> yeah. To steal a gimmick from Mags and Tolly, if you were to create a Mount Rushmore of moments of wrestling, I think this would have to be on there. Yeah. As a moment, yeah. When when you take it in again, when you take it in isolation, forget what you know about yeah. what happened after. The build to this moment and this happening was mind-blowing. Yeah, it was. So I think it's safe to say we've got our top five. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> We've got Vince opening the show. We've got uh, the Ric Flair promo slash the Flair Sting match. We've got the WCW Championship match, um, Scott Steiner versus Booker T. And we've got the Filthy Animals versus Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. And we've got the Shane McMahon promo. Did you say the Filthy Animals versus Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman? Yeah, that's how I've written it down in my notes. That's mine. We... <laughs> Prime time in Kid Romeo. Yeah, we've got Primetime and Kid Romeo versus the Filthy Animals of Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. And we've got Shane McMahon, McMahon's promo. We haven't even mentioned Sugar Shane Helms. Which is a shame because there were, that was another fun match. It was this show, actually, I'll, I'll get to it a little bit later on, but it was a great showcase of the Cruiserweights. To say it was two WWE guys booking it, they really give the Cruiserweights a chance to shine. And then they also, for some reason, put Sean Stasiak versus Bam Bam Bigelow out for two minutes. That was funny, though, especially that thing from the previous Nitro, saying um, if Bam Bam won, he wanted to tattoo that pretty little thing in the ring, and Sean Stasiak saying, oh, that's fine, Stacey, I'll do whatever I say. And Bam Bam says, I wasn't talking about Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a great, it was a great line from Bam Bam, but it was such a nothing match. And it's a real shame, because Bam Bam Bigelow, yeah. it was so much better than that. They didn't really know what to do with Bam Bam in WCW, did they? No. Um, I think I feel like we've kind of glossed over 
the uncomfortableness of uh, Vince and Trish? Well, to be honest, I think Mags and James have to deal with that because that's raw. Yeah, fuck it. Don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happens on Raw stays on Raw. Except when it's broadcast on Nitro. Yes. Well, <laughs> but those bits we're going to ignore. <laughs> so now it's time for an ad break. And there weren't very many ads on this show. There was the 1-800-COLLECT and the America Online version 6.0 on the Spring Breakout adverts. There was an advert for Slim Jim. It was the Macho Man in the Asylum. When was the last time we actually saw Macho Man on an episode of Nitro where he wasn't in a Slim Jim commercial? When Gorgeous George was in his dressing room? Yeah. Well, I can't remember. It's it. a long time ago, but... It, must um, have been, was it, it wasn't the Steiner's birthday episode, was it? No, I think it was before that. I think it was the debut of Maestro, because I remember saying on that that yes. Maestro's Gorgeous George's great nephew and um, Gorgeous George's... The, the gimmick's been sold to Randy Savage's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, and we got an advertisement for Witchblade, which is a series coming this summer, which I'm imagining is probably going to be in the time slot of Nitro. Could well be. I didn't even pick up on that advert, to be honest. Yeah. I started, I think, oh, was it one of those that flashed up in the bottom right corner? Yeah, bottom right corner. They were, they, it was pretty much there in every match. You know, they were promoting it pretty heavily. So, yeah, I think that was what to co- what's to come. I was too busy focusing on uh, on what was going on in the ring. In terms of shout-outs that we've had for the show, George Burns at GeorgeB0106-5217. Must be a lot of George Burns on Twitter. <laughs> They've been listening to the back catalogue, so I very much appreciate that. And it, it got to the point where we'd covered that episode where there was a sign in the crowd saying, I did it for the Nookie. Yes. At this point, Limp Biscuit had released a single of the song, Nucky, so he doesn't believe that this was Nucky Bear. I'm ashamed that I forgot that song existed. I should have known that. Yeah, should have known that. I think Limp Biscuit were probably singing about Nucky Bear, in all fairness. <laughs> you, I think you might be wrong, but for the sake of argument, we'll say you're right. Limp Biscuit are massive Roger DeCarsey fans. Steve-O, at Total Steve-O talking about the episodes that we've covered, said that uh, from SummerSlam 97, when Russo's in charge of booking, every promo's must-watch. Must yeah, absolutely. That was the that was what kept you coming back. We've said it on previous episodes, that the, the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling, especially if you grew up watching Attitude Era Raw like I did. It's the, you know, that stuff, the backstage stuff uh, and the promos of that era were just so captivating. Yeah. And I think it goes to what people expect from the wrestling. I think there's certainly in 2021, there is a section of the fan base that are really into it for the athleticism in the ring. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're looking for, that's that's great. No, absolutely, yeah. But some of us are here for the soap opera. Some of, it, some of us are grumpy old men that want to be sat in a chair and told a story. Yeah. <laughs> We are indeed. Talking about grumpy old men that want to be sat in a chair and told a story, Andy at Bam Bam Podcast. Um, <laughs> on his holidays in Devon, he's on the beach, walking along, and he randomly finds someone that's written in the sand, Dan Griffin loves Double J. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit strange, that, wasn't it? To be but fair, it was, uh, it was at Dan Griffin, New York at Dan Griffin 21, so all I can assume is there's another Dan Griffin that loves Jeff Jarrett as much I, as you. I wonder, I'm going to check Twitter right now. At Dan Griffin. 
might tweet him just to see if he likes Jeff Jarrett. Although the guy who's got at Dan Griffin hasn't tweeted since 2010. Oh dear. What about uh, Dan Griffin's 1 through 20? What do they think um, about? Um... At, at Dan Griffin 1 hasn't tweeted since the 14th of May 2020. I think this is a job for later, Dan. Well, well, we'll skip. No, you've, no, you've started it now. At Dan Griffin 2 is an egg with two followers that hasn't tweeted since 2009. Although a lot of his tweets involve the word juice, so he must be a Hooban 2 Guerrero fan. Well, have we all? At Dan Griffin 3. Oh, well, I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan's got a count, so it is up to three. If you need help counting, Graham at Good Bad Wrestle likes that Dan's ratings of the show were influenced by how tired he was, whereas my ratings of the show had removed statistical outliers. <laughs> yeah, but I was up front. I said I am nothing if not upfront about my arbitrary bullshit. Um, and I was joking about not about having only three fingers. I'm not from Paddy, and I'll leave that to Mags. Andy Purton will be after you, Dan. Yeah, be right. Danny at Scottish Juggalo made us a, a logo sponsored by Castrol Duty X. Oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. If I didn't think we'd get sued, I'd say we should use it. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I mean, we, we've described them before as... Uh, they're, they're basically they'll sponsor anyone in the Monday Night Wars, won't they? We should probably go and look on ECW, see if there's a bit of Castrol over there. Well, you never know. In season two, we may touch on ECW. We may do. Mags at Podfather Mags said that Man U fans could cheer themselves up after they lost 5-0 to Liverpool at home. <laughs> a triple bill of good, bad wrestle, UTT and bang, bang. That is the cure for all ills. Yeah. And I should probably mention at this point, uh, obviously I was on this episode of Bang, Bang that went out uh, last Monday as we were recording. Uh, we did Big Daddy's last match in ITV Wrestling from 1988 and... Just been blown away by the response that I've had. You know, it was a great episode, mate. It, honestly, God, listening to you talk about world of sport, you know, I, I have a laugh and a joke with you about it, and, and you know, bust your balls a little bit for it. But your depth and knowledge of all of that, and and your enthusiasm for it, it, it really was, it really was infectious, and it came across on the podcast. Yeah, it was, it was a really good episode. Really enjoyed it. And I would recommend that anyone ju- just dive into any of the World of Sport or ITV wrestling matches. Looking for a place to start, Les Kelly versus Leon Harris. <laughs> it's on YouTube. Yeah, and, and the daft thing is, I mean, Andy and I touched on this at the time, Brian Glover, who was Leon Harris, was an, an actual film star who yeah. was wrestling under a gimmick <laughs> because wrestling was more popular than Hollywood at this point. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. I would urge anyone to go and watch that match because it is, it's just perfection. And thank Joe from Joe in the ring uh, left his review on Podbean. So nothing but love for those guys. They, they've been so supportive from day one, as of a lot of people you just mentioned. But you know, we, it's just it blows me away that throughout this whole this whole run, the um, you know this whole run the first season, the people who've come out and support the, the friends we've made. Um, just doing the podcast, you know, bringing in people like Steve-O to, to do the booker it better. And and I don't want to start naming all the names because I'll forget somebody and and be pissed off later on. But every single bit of support means the absolute world. It really does. 
It does. And, you know, if anyone wants us to shout them out on the podcast, let us know. I'm more than happy to. If you want to come on the podcast, drop us a line, because I don't really like to bother people. And I'm the head of talent relations. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. If you, you know, if you want to interact with us, get get in touch. So in terms of the awards section of the show, final uh, one of the Monday Night Wars, what would you give your match of the night to Dan? Oh, I was torn on this because it's, well, it's between, no, do you know what it's between? It's the Cruiserweight matches all had a shout because of the way they stand up. Um, you know, we didn't even talk, we barely mentioned the triple threat Cruiserweight tag team match, which as breathless and mental as the Cruiserweight tag title match was, this one had a whole other team in it. That was it. It was just another level of insane. And then the Cruiserweight title match, because we've not even mentioned either, this was Night of Champions. The Cruiserweight title match between Chavo Guerrero and Sugar Shane Helms, great watch. But for me, it has to be either Booker T versus Scott Steiner or Flair versus Sting. And I'm going to lean to Booker T versus Scott Steiner. So I really did enjoy that match. I think that's the better wrestling match. I think the more emotional match is Sting Flair. And I'm going to have to go with that just because it, you know, of the real emotion that came out. And that that's, yeah, that, this entirely depends on how we split it. If we're going to say which was I'm more emotionally invested in, it was Flair versus Sting by a country mile. But I take match of the night general, well, in this instance, I'm taking match of the night to be the the best wrestling match to fit my personal tastes. And that's Booker T versus Scott Stein. Yeah. Uh, what's your moment of the night? The name on the contract does say McMahon. But it says Shane McMahon. Yeah. And for everything we said before, literally my notes say, I've got the name on the contract, does say McMahon, dot, 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 and then just so much hope. I would argue this is possibly the moment of the Monday Night Wars. You Ooh. know, I mean, I mean, you'd have probably have to sit down and think about it. You know, I, I guess Hogan joining the NWO is probably up there. Yeah. I mean, we've covered it on one of these uh, episodes, Austin throwing uh, all the rocks paraphernalia into the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ex-invasion um, of Nitro, you know, but I don't know that this is up there. You talk about, you know, stories and, and things going out with a whimper or out with a bang. This Nitro went out with a bang. Mm. It really did. A lot of people have been upset with the the ending of Game of Thrones or whatever. This is a television series that's ended. How many television series have ended this well? Not many. No. So who would you give you MVP of the night to? I think, to my knowledge, this is the first time I've done this. I'm giving a joint MVP of the night. And it's to Flair and Sting. Because yeah. Flair gave that great promo... Sting gave a perfectly serviceable promo as well, I should add. It was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. It just didn't blow you away. And then both had the final match, and it was a greatest hits, and it was performed to perfection, really motion after the fact. And in fact, during the match as well, like I said, when you see them smiling at each other, and it's kind of that, all right, mate, I've, yeah, I've got you. I see this. I know what's happening. <laughs> and yeah, just so I have to give it to Flair and Sting. In terms of my MVP, I'd have to go with Shane. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't understand that. Talk about maximising your minutes. Yeah. The most important award of the night, the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night. 
Uh, I'm going to give the Rene Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night to a first-time winner, as far as I'm aware. And it goes to Jimmy Yang for Ooh. having the haircut on the show that was the closest to a mullet. Very good. I'm going to go with Sting. He's cut his hair, but he's growing back. He's maybe not got the same ball that Rene Goulet's mum uses to cut his hair. Maybe a bit, a bit of a shorter one, but it's certainly a mullet in progress. Oh, I was having a drink, you bastard. Uh, just uh, sorry, just on that, I grabbed a couple more beers out of the fridge. I've not finished my stouts off yet, but I needed a palate cleanser. So I've got Top Rope Brewing Company's Oh Here It Goes, G-O-S-E. Orange Soda Goes, Keenan and Kelbier. Cool. It's not half bad, it's only 3.2%. Like I say, nice little palate cleanser. Nice orangey fruity IPA. Uh, well, it goes. Yeah. Excellent. I've got Waterless Brewery 6X Gold and uh, Salt Brewery. The Hop, which is a mosaic single from the Single Hop series. Very nice. What would you give your sign of the night to Dan? There was actually a surprising amount. When we first looked at the crowd, I thought, oh, this is going to be crap. The first thing I noticed was a sign that looked like a Domino's pizza box. And then I realised that somebody had a sign that said, Amy and Preston, I love you. And it was written on the inside of a pizza box. Uh, because you could see the, uh, the grease marks and the cheese on one side of it. <laughs> one thing I did love on this show there was nothing notable wrote on them but a lot of people just have whiteboards and marker pens so they must have been handed out there was a sign that said Bischoff Subway is hiring I saw that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's already left the company by this point but even so <laughs> yeah but still it's still funny uh, somebody had a sign that said uh, McMahon is Satan uh, which obviously a Nitro fan uh, so there was another one that said Vince first XFL now WCW you're a dumbass uh, I'm going to leave that sign alone because I think you'll have picked up on that one. Somebody had a sign that simply said, I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> and I'm assuming they mean the American version of trousers, but I had great fun just imagining that they were just advertising that they were going commando. Somebody, it must have been one of the wrestlers was in the crowd, had a sign that said, I need a job. There was a, a bit of a premonition. Shane saves WCW. They know something we don't. Yeah. Then alongside that, there was a sense that I smell punk ass. Oh, wait, it's Flair slash Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd find that. Yeah. We cut to Raw during Vince's promo. Vince McMahon is a corporate god. So we're on the other side of the fence from the Satan sign. Then another one saying WWF, XFL, ECW, WCW, who's next? Uh, on the XFL thing, uh, the XFL at this point was actually two weeks away from running its last game uh, and folding. All right. Completely. Yeah, so there you go. And then my sign of the night is the final one I noticed. It says, don't worry, Shane, my dad regretted my birth too. <laughs> saw that one. There was one where someone had said, don't hate the play, love the game, and not even player. <laughs> they caught that one up, didn't they? But there were three guys at ringside who were taking full advantage of the all you can drink five hours $30 dressed as La Parker. They had several La Parker-based signs. Uh, for example, they had one that said WCW needs La Parker. Which that, was the one I, that was the one I missed out. Well, yeah, I, w I wasn't going to go with that one. But, you know, just the concept that, you know, La Parker can save <laughs> WCW <laughs> at this point, I think it's a little bit too late. But the dresses La Parker, they're really drunk, and they have a sign, which we'll get called back to at Money in the Bank 2011, La Parker are we riot. <laughs> I didn't spot that one 
So yeah. fair play. See, I knew it'd be something Lepaka related. Because those three guys, that, that is how I, I imagine we'd turn up to that show. Shit-ass drunk dressed as Lepaka. Dressed? He's not dressed as a skeleton. He is a skeleton. Yeah, but so we'd be dressed as Lepaka. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> they, we, we have skeletons, but we are... <laughs> speaking personally, I'm most definitely not a skeleton. I'm very well padded. Yeah, we're using them. <laughs> so what would you rate the shot out of 10, Dan? Oh, right, here we go. My final sort of ratings ramble. And it's a bit of a unique one because I've got a show rating with the Vince McMahon promo and a show rating without it. So I'll dive into it anyway. So the matches I gave a 7 out of 10. It was largely really good. Um, some of it was a bit time-constrained, but... I thought the vast majority, you know, the Cruiserweight stuff in particular held up today. Booker T, Scott Steiner was really good. Uh, The main event was really good. Only Stasiak and Bigelow really stunk the place out. And even then, it was only for three minutes. So, seven out. And we got the funny line about uh, tattooing the pretty little thing in the ring. Yeah, true, true. And as for the promos that took place on Nitro and in a Nitro ring, I gave them a nine out of ten because they were virtually faultless. For production-wise, 8 out of 10. Again, virtually spot on. There were some sound issues, which was the only real bugbear, uh, but was enough, sort of quite noticeable throughout the show. It was really impressive uh, for a resort show, the setup they'd had uh, with the screen placement and they've got the pyrotechnics going. The pyro at the start was brilliant all around the hotel and on the beach. It felt big. Well, apparently, because um, WWF had bought them and they knew it was going to be the last one, so like the production crew were just like, thought they had a blank check. Fair enough. I'm glad they did. You know, that the um, I said about the rigging before around the ring, and then on Sting's entrance in particular, when it was getting really dark, and they had the smoke on the entranceway, and they had the light, the spotlights going around, I thought that looked fantastic. And all the simulcast stuff was impressive as well, you know, cutting backwards and forwards to Raw. Really well done. That's, uh, that's an 8 out of 10. Storyline, 9 out of 10. What is bigger than Vince buying WCW? All the uncertainty surrounding everything. We got the great emotion from, you know, from Flair, from Sting, from DDP, who we didn't speak about. DDP's a sort of goodbye to the fans. There was just so much going on. The overall emotion, and then ending on that note of hope. I just, yeah, it was fantastic. The fan response. The crowd were pretty good. In fact, they were really good. There was just one or two moments where it felt like the reactions were a little bit piped in. But generally speaking, they were up for it. Were, you know, it was it was a Boosfield wrestling crowd. So I give that a seven out of ten, and it all averages out at an eight out of ten. Then we factor in Vince McMahon and his promo on Raw. Sorry, from you know, as part of the simulcast, fourteen or fifteen minutes of bullshitting that and gloating that we've admitted has its purpose. It doesn't make it any easier to watch. So with McMahon's promo. It goes down to a six point five. Oh Jesus Christ, Dan! That's uh, that's that's gaving. I hated it that much. Um, wow! But it's it's the final show, of season one. In terms of what happened on Nitro and in a Nitro ring, I'm giving it eight out of ten. Well, I guess we're reviewing the the show as a whole, so it does go down to a six point five. But that's a take. I'm more optimistic on this show than than you are. I don't think it's as good as the reboot. Both shows were dripping with 
reality see, seeping into kayfabe, mm. if that makes sense. But in terms of the in-ring wrestling, I reckon this is probably the second best one we've watched after that um, mm. WCW US tournament show that we watched. Definitely up there. I know. I know there's a really. I know there's another really good show that is just escaping my memory right now because I've got a brain like Swiss cheese. Yeah. So it def- definitely makes top three. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely up there. I mean, you know, maybe I'm forgetting something, but, you know, it, it did stick out as a decent wrestling show that focused quite a bit on the wrestling compared to some of the shows that we've watched. And obviously it sort of had the storyline in there. The, there were certain bits to it that that weren't as great. You know, I mean, Ricky Ratman's on a show. That's, you know, <laughs> n- never going to, you know. Uh, the ending was great, but I wouldn't want to colour my review just by the ending you have an amazing ending but that's not going to get you a 10 sort of thing coming out of it with a lot of hope but yeah certainly more optimistic on the the show as a whole than you are on that one bear in mind i only dropped it down for the vince mcmahon stuff that happened on raw the wcw stuff i really liked well to be honest I've got a little bit different view on the Vince McMahon stuff. I did like the sort of playing to the crowd with everything. I, I did, you know, and, and again, it's maybe something that you missed on the show, but that interaction with Regal and then, you know, the oh, no, touchdown is shared. And... I'm literally just on about Vince McMahon's 14 minutes. Yeah. There, was a, there was a good minute in that when he was playing, you know, playing well, a couple of minutes playing with yeah. the crowd. But I just got bored. Yeah. I didn't think Vince had one of his bad nights. I mean, we've covered shows where he's had horrific nights but i didn't necessarily personally think this was this was one of them but you know obviously we we see things um, differently and and that's that's just what it is um i saw a great thing on before we get to your score i saw a great thing uh, a great quote on uh, netflix as uh, somebody feed phil it's a food right. show and he was visiting a restaurant in uh, oh, i can't remember if it was somewhere in mississippi i think and yeah. there was a table of locals of old boys that go in every day called the table of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And because between them all, they all know it, they know everything. And yeah. uh, one of them just, they were talking about political differences and things like that. And he says, this old bloke says, we agree to disagree and be agreeable about it. Yeah. I think oh. it's just a great, a great way to look at life in general. <laughs> That's fair enough. So would it surprise you, Dan, that the community vote on cage match Rated this the highest rated episode of Nitro at 8.7. Not at all. I, I can yeah. completely see that. Like yeah, I said, but, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had a bit of fun with my with my ratings there, but I, I can absolutely see that. Yeah, and wrestling data is 87.2. So, I mean, they're both in the ballpark with yeah. the, same, the same rating. Yeah, it's an iconic show, iconic moment. It deserves a high rating. Your highest rating on these reviews that you've given is an eight. Mine's a nine, so maybe we're on a little bit of a different a different scale. But even, you know, you sort of did appreciate a lot of this show without the Vince McMahon, so it speaks to that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, surpri- I'm surprised it's an eight, to be fair. Although it, I, I am of the mindset that it has to be something really, really special to get a nine. And I don't necessarily think it's ever possible for something to be perfect to get a 10. No. When I was putting my review in for the reboot show on Cage Match, I actually put in there, I don't know what it would take to give a 10. Mm. Because the reboot is 
an excellent two hours of television. I, I don't know what on earth it would take to pump it up from that, but I, I don't want to say something's perfect because I always think there should be room for room for improvement. Exactly, you know. Yeah. And obviously, I haven't, I haven't watched everything that's ever been made, so <laughs> yeah, we'll maybe leave uh, leave the gap there. But you know, I, I thought this was an excellent excellent show. It really did. So that is basically the end of all the episodes that we're going to review for uh, the Monday Night Wars, uh, certainly this iteration in season one of the podcast. But we've got a few statistics from the back of it. Go on, then. How about this one? The average rating that we've given to Nitros between the two of us for the the 17 Nitros that we reviewed is 5.88 out of 10. Okay. The average raw is 5.99, so pretty much in the same ballpark, not that much difference. We've, we've done 19 raws and 17 nitros. Yeah, and it just goes to show there was more above average and below on, on both, really. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, we've spoken about, you know, some bookers only having maybe, you know, one. Uh, Russo wrote 12 shows. He, uh, he He's the highest. Um, the next highest after him, Ed Ferrara with, with nine. And then with seven with Terry Taylor. Fuck so, Terry Taylor. Who do you think got your highest rating, Dan, out of the averages of all your, your reviews? I'd like to think Russo. Russo got your third highest. Oh, okay. In that case, I know I rated generally rated the uh, generated the Raws quite highly. So was it Kresge? Kresge got your second highest. Don't tell me it was Terry Taylor. It was Eric Bischoff, uh, which okay. is a little, little bit of a proxy for Vince Russo because yeah. he only booked with Vince Russo. So you gave Russo an average of seven, uh, Kresge an average of um, six point six two five, and Russo an average of six point five four. Okay. Yeah, so my highest three, well, well, I've just given Shane McMahon an A on his one, so so that doesn't really count. Uh, He has helped Bruce Pritchard get out of the relegation zone, potentially. But, yeah, so he he got an eight from me. The next highest was actually, again, Bischoff with 7.75. Again, between them, they they only did three episodes. And then it's Russo, who I've given an average of 7.375 to. Yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that. It, it, it's more impressive for Russo to be in the top three, given that he did the most episodes. So therefore, yeah. there's the most margin for error, for error. Russo is in the top three for us two individually. And then when you combine the guests as well, he's also third. Which, yeah, so that many people yeah. rating, that, rating that highly across the board. Again, the numbers don't lie. Yeah. And you've got to consider that, you know, I mean, the first one on the guests, well, the first one in the combined for the shows is still Shane McMahon because I gave him that A, you know, and then then it's Eric Bischoff. You know, when you consider anyone that's had more than two episodes, Russo's the highest. Careful now, we don't want to to start talking about demos and twisting figures. Well, no, no, I'm I'm just saying, you know, I mean, obviously, it's a a little bit of a, a small population if we've gone off this one episode of Shane McMahon. So who do you think was your lowest rated? I'd want to say Terry Taylor, but Bill Banks. The one off in the middle of the Russo and Bischoff run. So Bill Bill Banks got a five out of ten for you, as did Terry Taylor. Fuck Terry Taylor. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, your worst that was Kevin Sullivan, six episodes, and you gave him an average of four point seven five. Although, yeah, some... oh yeah, there was there was some of that absolute dire shite early days. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think I think I think you, I remember I remember looking thinking back, there was a lot of like fours and threes and and whatnot for Sullivan. Yeah, I mean Terry Taylor was there with him as well, but some of the recent <laughs> Terry Taylors haven't been. As you know, the general Ironitis ones haven't been as bad, but you know, between us, because <laughs> they've, they've learned to ignore him. Well, exactly. I mean, you gave Ironitis an average of 6.5, and I gave him an average of 6.25. So, the fact that he's pulling up those Terry Taylor episodes in terms of my bottom three, my worst was Vince McMahon, although we only did one episode for him. So, again, that's just as unfair as saying Shane McMahon's the best, which I gave a four to. My next worst was, again, Kevin Sullivan, 5.08. Yeah. And then Terry Taylor. Fuck Terry Taylor at um, <laughs> 5.14. But Kevin Kevin Nash hasn't made the worst in either of our cases. No, Kevin Nash, overall, both me and the show, gave an average of 6. And you gave an average of 5.5. That's slightly reflective of mm. the first Kevin Nash one was really good and the second one was really bad. I mean, in terms of the ratings, obviously the ratings went completely downhill when Kevin Nash was in charge of booking, but perhaps that's not reflect. But in terms of our personal mm. ones, and this is obviously on Booking the Terrorist Podcast channel, our two most listened to episodes, and this is a little bit skewed because people are still listening to the early episodes, you know, so they sort of build up over time. But our two most listened to episodes are the Kevin Nash Low and the Kevin Nash High. Um, right. When Commander Nash and Sarah were on with us. We've never had a bad guest on this show ever, but those chats with Wing Commander Nash and Sarah were were particularly good ones. Um, we need to get uh, Nash back and Sarah, to be fair. But yeah. we need we need Nash back with a bullshit alarm. We do. In third place was the very first episode, the uh, Vince McMahon episode. Yep. In fourth place was uh, when we had Matty on to discuss the Russo and Ferrara highest rated episode of the entire Monday Night Wars. He'll hate being in the top five. <laughs> <laughs> and in fifth place, Sarah's back again with the bonus episode that we did for uh, Kiss's appearance on Nitro. Really? The bonus episodes made the top five? Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I'll let Sarah know um, ahead of time because uh, she'll enjoy that. The irony of that, that got peacocked from the Nash episode. Yeah. <laughs> so- Peacock screwed over Wing Commander Nash. But he's still got the most uh, the most lessons, although to be fair, he's the only wrestler we've had on the show, so perhaps he deserves to have. <laughs> yeah, that's the fair point. So that's it. That's the end of season one. So where can people find you, Dan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, uh, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date at minimum or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can also find me on the monthly pay-per-view reviews on that 90s wrestling podcast uh, with Rob and uh, James, the host, and uh, some bloke called Mags. Don't know, never heard of him. No, I don't think podcasting is really his thing. No, he opts on once a month. I'm not sure he's done much else. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those are the uh, the two main places you can find me. Or you can find that '90s Wrestling Podcast on Twitter at '90s Wrestling Pod, or on Facebook, YouTube. I think probably Instagram at '90s Wrestling Pod or that '90s Wrestling Podcast. Go give it a like, share, and subscribe. James, 
really does smash it out of the park with all his interviews uh, and also uh, Café de René with René Dupree. And a massive thanks to James and Mags for doing the Raw that went head-to-head with this. Uh, you know, hop on the Night's Wrestling channel. It's exclusively available there. You know, you'll hear the other side of this monumental day in wrestling history and really glad that uh, they could cover that for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I hope that, uh, Mags has given us as much grief as we've given him. Um, but and also a big thank you to James as well for hosting the uh, the podcast on his channel. Didn't have to do that for us. It really is greatly appreciated. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you can find me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers. So if you uh, want to follow, I'm more than happy to follow back. As you've said, you know, you can find you can find me at those monthly pay per view uh, reviews as well. In terms of the show, obviously, this episode is exclusively available on the UTT podcast channel, and that's where you'll find the exclusive on Booking the Tankatory episodes going forwards. So it's really important to subscribe to both because on the Nice Wrestling Podcast channel, you will hear us on those monthly reviews. So next thing that's coming out on this channel, Tank Abbott, and it's um, how he got into UFC, his time appearing on Friends. We're a multimedia podcast now. We're not just covering, covering wrestling. I think it's so funny that... Courtney Cox has to deal with her on-screen partner fighting Tank Abbott, and then she's going to have to deal with her real-life partner later on facing Tank Abbott. It is. It, there's some wonderful sort of uh, sort of poetry about that, isn't there? And then who knows? In season two, maybe we uh, we delve a little further into Courtney Cox's partner uh, wrestling Tank Abbott. And he's also his wider role in wrestling. Well, we're going to do that on a book in the tank, so we're down. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll do that match. We'll do his wider, maybe a wider role. Yeah, we'll the, do that uh, match, but we're going to have to. Are we really not going to do anything about David Arquette? The, not a chance. Not a chance. Greatest <laughs> champion of all time. Biggest needle mover in wrestling in the last thirty years. I don't know why you're restricting that to thirty. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's not Big Daddy. Yeah, he's not. Is not, uh, and you can go back in Bam Bam Podcast archives and and listen to me describe Big Daddy fighting Nazis. Uh, I know Chain Wrestling made a big thing about when Hulk Hogan saved the world, but um, just before that, Big Daddy saved the world. <laughs> so that's just that, that that broke me a little bit. Yeah, well, that has to be seen to be believed. Well, that's season one in a nutshell. So. Thank you for listening. listening. Because, Dad, the deal is finalized with WCW. And the name on the contract does say McMahon. However, the contract reads Shane McMahon. Oh, my God! That's right, I now own WCW. And then, just like WCW did in the past, how it kicked your ass in the past, and it will again. That's exactly what's gonna happen to you this Sunday at WrestleMania. (laughs) 